Good morning, and thanks for tuning in to the Vine and Branches podcast. My name is Allie O'Neill, and today we're going to be starting our second day of our three-part series in stress and anxiety. Now, yesterday we talked about stress and how it can affect our bodies, both mentally and physically, and kind of the forms that stress takes in our life. So I left you with six points that kind of talk about some ways that we can combat stress. But after I left that, I thought that I would reach out to y'all on social media and see how you combat stress. So I have some um, on here. So Jariah Schlater said sleep. I totally agree with sleep. Sometimes just taking a nap is a good way um, to kind of rest and rejuvenate. And it really helps too when our body's gone through a lot of stress to give our body that rest that it needs. Um, Midnight Stationery said that they use naturopathic remedies. So um, he said ashwagandha is an amazing herb that I started taking and it helps my anxiety and stress majorly. So I have not done research on this one, but there are a lot of good um, supplements that we can take to help with anxiety. So you can always do research on that. Sammy Sellers sent me a picture of him outside. So time outdoors, just spending time in God's creation in the nature is sometimes a really good coping mechanism for people. I know for my husband, spending time outdoors and sometimes just taking a walk outdoors is really helpful and helps him to recuperate. Um, Tamara McRae says, prayer, I've been praying a lot these past few months. So sometimes just spending time in the presence of the Lord and sharing what's on your mind and what's bothering you is helpful for people. Um, this one is my absolute favorite. This is by Melinda Melinda Rosario, and she says she keeps a gratitude journal twice a day at scheduled times, and it helps refocus on the good. I love this because this is something that I actually practiced. Um, I went through a point in my life where I was really stressed and I just had a really negative viewpoint on a lot of things in life. And I didn't do it twice a day, but I did do it in the morning when I woke up. I had my gratitude journal and it was there on my nightstand. And I would write what I was thankful for. As soon as I woke up, I had a fresh mind and it's before the negativity was even able to hit me. And you know, looking back at that later on the day was really helpful. Um, My husband, Brian O'Neill said, taking some time alone. So I know when he's stressed, sometimes he doesn't want to be around other people and we just need time to think and process, especially if you're an introvert like my husband. It is so vital that we are pouring into our, into yourselves and, um, that you're able to get that rejuvenation that you need. Rejuvenation is a big word um, for anxiety and stress because you want to rejuvenate and get yourself from those hot moments to those calm and cool moments. So today I want to talk about anxiety and As we said yesterday, stress breeds anxiety. This is kind of like where the anxiety comes from. And it also comes from many other things as well. So anxiety is actually a feeling of nervousness, unease, or worry. And this is going to typically occur in the absence of an imminent threat. So it differs from fear because that's really the body's natural response to immediate danger. 
Anxiety is more a part of the body's natural reaction to stress. So when we're experiencing that stress, we're getting the reaction, which is anxiety. So, I mean, it can be helpful at times because it makes you more alert and ready for action. But long-term effects of anxiety is detrimental to the body. So... Anxiety disorders and normal feelings of anxiousness are really two different things. When we're coming from a place of fear or nervousness, it can sometimes become excessive and then difficult to control. And then it's going to interfere with our daily life. And that's when it becomes a disorder. So an anxiety disorder may be present in your life and you may, you may be aware of it, but you're thinking, hey, you know, it's not a big deal. It's fleeting. It'll go. The thing about the human mind is it is constantly changing. Our state of mind is constantly changing. And, you know, we can go from happy to sad in a a matter of minutes. And it's amazing how quickly our mind can change. So we could be anxious and then be happy later on. But usually the cycle of anxiety kind of spans out a little bit. And our anxiousness stays and it lingers and it turns into things like depression, obsessive compulsive disorders, um, deeper panic type of disorders. So it's important that we combat the symptoms of anxiety when they come. So we almost, it's kind of common for us to think about anxiety in a way that it kind of hinders our ability to overcome it. So I think the biggest misconception about anxiety is that it's to be feared and avoided at all costs. So we think anxiety is bad. We can't have anxiety. If we have anxiety at all, we're bad people and we need to avoid it all the way. When I deal with my patients, I'm telling them that It's important for them to experience those negative emotions such as sadness, anger, and fear. And they're really important to our survival. And when you're having emotional discomfort, it's a very normal and a very universal human experience. So if someone's going through something, it's like, hey, I understand whatever happened. It's normal for you to feel anxious because of something like this. We think it's abnormal to feel this anxiety, but it's really not. It's our body's response, and then it's how we combat things and how we deal with them. So many, how many people really have anxiety disorders is, is a good question to pose. And many people first develop it kind of during childhood if you're going to have a disorder. This usually comes from worry, It becomes something such as a generalized anxiety disorder. And like I said, it's a generalized anxiety disorder is more likely to start in your young adulthood. So there's actually an estimated 3.6% of the world's population that is suffering from anxiety disorders, which is, which is crazy. So what causes anxiety disorders? Um, Oh my goodness, so many different things. One could be genetics. So if your mother or your father has it, you are more likely to develop an anxiety disorder. Um, It doesn't mean that you will get it, but genetics are a large factor in this. Traumatic events are another thing. Experience a stressful or traumatic event. So it could be like a death of a loved one. Um, Maybe you've had a sort of abuse or... You know, you've gone through 
a really stressful situation that turned into a trauma because of how much you know you suffered from it and this may actually trigger the condition so we could have dealt with a traumatic event in our early childhood and we move on and we're in our 20s and our 30s and something triggers that memory in our subconscious and we're not even thinking hey I'm upset because this happened to me in my childhood we're not even actively thinking of that but it's a trigger for us and this is kind of what starts up that anxiety disorder So anxiety disorders can come and go. There are people who go on medications for them for a short period of time and then they feel like it's better so they come off of it. They're good for a few weeks, months, years and then they have to go back on the medication again. You do get relapses of anxiety so if you've experienced it once you're more than likely to experience it again. Another cause of an anxiety disorder is your brain structure. So There are changes in the areas that regulate stress and anxiety, and this may contribute to the disorder. So, um, (coughs) excuse me. There is a genetic component to anxiety disorders, no doubt. Um, And many psychiatrists and behavioral neuroscientists have been able to do studies, and they've been able to find that genetics play an important part in this. So this makes the person more vulnerable to developing that anxiety disorder rather than causing them to directly inherit one. So just because you have the genetics doesn't mean you're inheriting an anxiety disorder. It just means that you are more prone and vulnerable to, um, to developing one of these. So this is a kind of cool fact that I've, I've learned among training for my new job. And that was that women are actually two times more likely than men to be diagnosed with an anxiety disorder. And this has not really been, uh, it's not a clear why in the case, but when researchers have been going through this, they've actually theorized that it may be due to a combination of social and biological factors. So, when the scientists are going through this, they're tr- still trying to investigate the difficult role that sex plays in brain chemistry. But some of the researchers are ac- actually suggesting that in women, the amygdala, which is part of the brain responsible for um, processing potential threats, they may be more sensitive to the negative stimuli and hold on to the memory a little bit longer. So um, c- kind of like my husband says sometimes, man, you must have a really good memory because I don't remember that. And as women, we hear that a lot. It's because there's something about our brain chemistry that we just may hold on to memories a little bit longer. So I would love to keep up with that research and see what they come up with. Um, But men, that's not trying to minimize that men get anxiety. I think a lot of women speak out on it more. Um, And some men do. But I I asked one of my male friends before I did this podcast, I said, why is it that men tend to not speak out as much and raise awareness on anxiety disorders? And it seems to be the women who are more vocal. I said, I don't know if that's true or not, or if that's just my perspective. And he said, no, it's my perspective too. And I think the reason that as men, we don't speak up about it is because 
we have this persona, like we're supposed to be the strong ones. We're supposed to be capable. And it's a sign of weakness for us to say, hey, I struggle with X, Y, or Z. And I've never been a man a day in my life. I've said this in my podcast so many times, so I can't relate. But hearing that from another man, that's, it's like, wow. So, um, the anxious and worried mind, I put it together, the anxious and worried because anxiousness stems from being worried And some people might have such a problem with worry that it might even be said that they're almost addicted to worrying. So we can be addicted to so many things in our lives. Um, Some people are addicted to substances, uh, whether it's alcohol or pain pills. Um, Some people may be addicted to shopping. Some people are addicted to pumpkin spice lattes in the fall. Um, We have so many different things that we become addicted to. And it's crazy to think that we become addicted to worrying as if we enjoy it. Because for me, when I, I am a perpetual worrier, I think about the next day before it's even happened. I'm a planner. And my husband always reminds me, let's live in today. That's like a year from now. This is a few months from now. We don't need to plan it yet. We don't know what our circumstances are going to want to be. And for me, I come up with absolutely every scenario that I can. And I'm like, well, X, Y, and Z could happen. And we need to have a plan A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. This is because I'm a type A personality who needs to plan things out. And it breeds worry. And that worry breeds anxiety in my life. So because I was always constantly worrying about something and I do worry about things a lot it's hard for me to enjoy the peace that Jesus died for me to have it's literally almost impossible because it's absolutely impossible to worry and live in peace at the same time if you are able to do that man we need to put you in the Guinness Book of World Records because I have never met a person who worries and is at peace I have met people who worry perpetually and claim to be at peace, but they're lying to themselves and everyone else. And that's unfair. That's unfair to them and everyone else around them. So I just kind of want to unpack this idea of worry. And um, I want to define it for you. And I'm going to do the typical Webster's Dictionary definition of the word. And it says to feel uneasy or troubled. Another one is to cause to feel anxious, distressed, or troubled. Another one is a source of nagging concern. And I've also even heard it defined as to torment oneself with disturbing thoughts. So, wow. The first one, to feel uneasy or troubled. So... For some of us who deal with anxiety, there's an uneasiness that starts to kind of bubble up inside of us. And then we feel trouble that comes from it. And then things start to kind of spiral out in our lives. And then in the second definition, anxiety is right in there. To cause to feel anxious and a nagging concern. Thinking about, think about someone in your life, whether it's your wife, your mom. Yes, women tend to be more of naggers. Someone in your life who's nagging at you and it drives you insane. You're like, couldn't they just get off my back 
for like five seconds and let me live my life. That is what anxiety feels like. It feels like that nagging mom, that nagging wife, that nagging girlfriend, that nagging teacher, whoever nags at you that's on your back constantly and you just want freedom from it. This is what anxiety takes form in in our lives. We constantly have that chip on our shoulder. We have that advocate there that's like, hey, if you did this, you would do better. If you just would have thought about it this way, it would have been better. And that's a really rough way to live. So if we know that worry certainly doesn't make anything better in our lives, then why don't we just give it up? Wow, that kind of sucks. If someone asked me that, I'd be like, why don't you just give up something that's really hard for you? You think I haven't thought about wanting to give up anxiety before? But we can It's extremely, and then it's immensely hard to do, but we can give up that anxiety. We can do it one day at a time. But I think we really need to humble ourselves because that's what it is not to worry. So a person who worries and has anxiety still thinks that in some way they can solve their own problem. And this anxiety is the mind racing around trying to find a solution to their situation. So we are so prideful as to think that we have all the answers and we can fix our own problems. And in turn, we're making things a lot harder for ourselves. If we could step back, like I talked yesterday on the stress segment, we step back and we let go and realize that it's not all our responsibility and some things just might be out of our control, we can ease that worry. It won't get rid of it, but we can ease it. So I wasted so many years of my life worrying about things that I could do nothing about. So many, so many years I've wasted on doing that. And I would like to have those years back and be able to approach it in a different way. And not to mention today, not as in today, but today in the present, I still worry about so many things that I wish I didn't worry about and I wish I could approach it in a different way. And wishing and wanting are two completely different things. Because We can wish that this anxiety would go away and we can want for it to go away. And wanting is when we're actually starting to make a difference. So I just want to leave you with some things that we're going to talk about on how to combat anxiety. Because we talked yesterday about how we can combat stress. And today I want to talk about how we combat anxiety. So the first thing is to take it one day at a time. So... Don't spend today trying to figure out how tomorrow is going to work or even next week. People say live in the moment. You really need to. Of course, there needs to be some planning in your life for certain things. But don't be honing on to what could possibly happen tomorrow. Because when that worry becomes excessive, rather than just a plan or something that needs to get done it turns into that anxiety that becomes a generalized disorder. So take it one day at a time. The second one is let the worry go. You have to try and want, not wish. 
want the worry to go and take active steps to get rid of it. The third one is find your calm. So when we're talking about combating anxiety, calm for some people was going out in nature, taking time to themselves, doing a gratitude journal. Those are things that they can do. Um, Some people worry because they're like, I am so busy. I don't have time to find my calm. You have to. Even if it's while you're taking a shower, for me, that's sometimes the only time when I get time completely to myself, no one else is around. Um, You know, I have a two-year-old running around the house, a dog, my husband's there, and even though I love everyone in my home, sometimes I just need those moments completely by myself, no worries, and I've got to take that. Finding your calm may even be something that you can do once a week or once a month. Um, so I, I really need to take my own advice and do this a little bit more, but I would even like to, and I'll challenge you cause I'm going to challenge myself cause we're doing this together once a month. I want to take one day to myself where I don't have to worry about housework. I put that housework aside. I put those tough responsibilities aside and I carve out a day to do something that is meaningful for me. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so that may simply be going to Barnes & Noble, getting a good Christian book that I can get centered in and just read and take notes. That's therapeutic for me. That may sound like a disaster to some of you. Maybe if you're a female going to get your nails done or if you're a male going to the gym to go work out, these are all good ways that we can find our calm. It's different for everyone. What sounds calm to one person may not be calm to another. So that's why I put your, find your calm. The fourth thing is to reduce your stress. So if we know that stress breeds anxiety, we need to use some of the things from yesterday's podcast and talk about how we can combat stress so we can combat anxiety. Your fifth one is talk about it, don't complain about it. So there is a huge difference. I think that it is so important for us to reach out and talk about the things that are bothering us, but not in a way that we're complaining. Because complaining makes us relive it over and over again. And if we, some people say if we don't talk about it, it doesn't exist. And that's not true. We need to talk about these things. So I've been training with Crisis Text Line for my counseling job. And I just want to give this resource to you guys one more time. I'm not selling anything. We don't get profits off of this. But it's more than just... A crisis. A crisis is different for everyone. So people are thinking to text into 741741, which is the number you text into, that you need to have like suicidal ideations or it's got to be something really serious, like an emergency. It does not. We have people who text in that are teenagers and they're having boyfriend problems. That's their crisis. There are people who just had a bad day and they spilled coffee, hot coffee, and burned themselves at work. And they're angry and they text in to talk. There are people who have lost family members. There are people who are suicidal. All walks of life, all ages are texting in to 741-741 and they're getting help from our counselors. And it's amazing because... 
they're able to talk through what they need to and they have a safe and open space where they can where they can talk and get their feelings out now it may come across as complaining a little bit because to some people we we think we think something's bad and it's rough and then we say it out loud and we're like oh wow it's really not as bad as i've made it and we can verbally process and sometimes we hear other people's problems and we're like seriously you're upset about that but different things affect people in different ways so for my fifth step we want to talk about it and not complain about it because if we're complaining to everyone that we walk by about how bad our day was it's not helpful this is when it gets a little tricky because then I eat my own words so I'm a firm believer if someone comes up to you and asks how is how's your day going or how are you feeling today Usually in passing, we're like good and we don't say how we really feel. And I don't think the person really wants to know sometimes because they're just doing it to be nice. But I believe in being honest in that moment. So when I go to the grocery store and I'm standing in line and she's like, hello, ma'am, how are you doing today? Did you find everything okay? I'm kind of like, well, actually my day has sucked And it's been really hard because my son just spilled whatever on me. You know, I didn't get any sleep last night. And actually, I was trying to go down aisle five to find a certain salad dressing that wasn't there. And apparently, it was on the international aisle. And that really pissed me off. It kind of takes people out of a loop. And that empathy trigger goes on. And they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. And it, it may give you a chance to talk about it. I'm not saying do this with everyone that you pass. But sometimes the lady that's in the line at the grocery store, you don't know anything about her or him. And they're a perfect person to just kind of unload on, but not in a way where we're putting our problems on them and being rude. But we're just saying, hey, you asked how my day is. Here's how it is going. And then always ask them how their day is going. Because then it, then it gets a little bit weird. Um, that's just me. Some people are uncomfortable doing that and they're more personal with what they think. But I do believe in that level of honesty because if we're genuinely caring about how other people are doing, we want to talk that out and we want to hear the truth from them. So my final thing in combating anxiety is being alert and ready for action. And here's what I mean by this. When something stresses us out or something fears us, unnerves us, make us uneasy, we get that either fight or flight response or we get that alertness from the anxiety. So that is where anxiety can be a good thing. But we need to be alert in a way that we're taking our emotions out of the equation, even if it's for a quick second to stop and evaluate ourselves and say, is this really something that I want to get worked up about? Or is this really something that I'm going to let my body suffer physically for? And then we need to be ready to take action for it. Because if it isn't something that we want to be feeling or going through, then we need to decide the steps that we're going to go through to make it better for ourselves. So those are my six steps. Once again, it is take it a day at a time. Let worry go. Find your calm reduce your stress, talk about it, don't complain about it, and be alert and ready for action. Please remember that anxiety breeds so many other disorders as well. 
It starts from stress. We know that. It goes into anxiety and worry. And then it can actually come into a generalized anxiety disorder that we struggle with every day versus just having a one-time episode. And it can turn into panic attacks, obsessive compulsive disorder. It can turn into so many other things. And I want to stop for a second and talk about panic disorders because I have friends and I've experienced a couple myself of these panic attacks and they come in different forms and some people don't even realize what's going on. They think it's a more serious health issue when they're dealing with it. People are going into the emergency room all the time thinking that they had heart attacks or seizures or you know they were throwing up because they had a, a virus, but it all actually stemmed from anxiety. And um, so one friend that I have, I'm, I'm not going to use names for confidentiality, but one friend has suffered from serious panic attacks, panic attacks in the form of not being able to breathe. So she freaks out over a situation and she starts heavy breathing and then she starts coughing. And sometimes she even needs to use an inhaler or she needs to go to the emergency room and get a mask. Sometimes this has even evolved as far as not just being a breathing issue, but becoming a uh, pseudo seizure. So she's putting her body into distress. Her emotions are so out of disorder that she can't actually stop and take control of the situation. She's letting her circumstances take control of her. And that's scary because people have actually died from having these panic attacks. And I'm not trying to scare you because it's not extremely common, but some people are in such a moment of distress that they're not getting help. They're not even aware of what's going on. And not to mention, some people aren't talking about this when they're having it and they're just letting them happen over and over again until they have a seizure or until they actually do have a real heart attack that is brought on from anxiety. And that's a really scary place to be because then you've got another disorder on top of other stuff that you're trying to work on. So when I was talking yesterday about dealing with stress, it is so important that we're noticing the mental aspects of it before it turns into something physical because then we're spending money on doctor's bills and and all that other stuff. Um, Panic disorders can also come in the form of profuse sweating. I have a male friend who when he gets anxiety, he sweats like crazy. He literally looks like he went outside and was in the rain or stepped into a shower. He is, he's covered. And he went on medications for this because he thought that it would be helpful to, he thought it was something that was physically wrong with his body until he found out that his anxiety is what was having that happen, which then turned into like some other skin issues, like some eczema and stuff like that. So once he was able to combat his anxiety and bring that down some, it was extremely helpful because he didn't have to continue going on those medications because it wasn't an imbalance somewhere in his body that was causing this. It was his anxiety. So 
I hope this was helpful for y'all today. Um, Tomorrow, I'm going to be talking about the perfectionist syndrome. And to touch on that really briefly, this is kind of taking stress and anxiety to a different level. This is a living, breathing person who walks around and carries all of this on their back. And it has spiraled into something that makes them think they need to be perfect. They do nothing but put pressure on themselves and the other people that are in their lives and they are extremely competitive and they take down people in their path. They're kind of like a human bulldozer and they're bringing people down. They're negative people to be around, although they may be fun at some times. Overall, the relationships that they breed are toxic and I've walked this Um, I have a lot of insight to it. I am so glad that I have overcome it because it's really hard to overcome. And I know for a fact that I have friends that are trying, they're walking it now and trying to combat it. So I really want to unlock what the perfectionist syndrome is. If you guys have any questions on anything from today or yesterday on stress and anxiety, please feel free to keep sending me messages. I, I love that you guys are keeping in contact with me and wanting to hear more. And if you have ideas on how to combat anxiety, um, if you've dealt with panic attacks specifically, I would love to hear those and share those tomorrow morning um, for the next podcast. And I look forward to talking to you guys tomorrow. Have a great day.